Uh, so good to be with all of you. You know, we've had a very difficult period. We're still in it. We're all walking through this together. It's been now months where we've had to deal with the pandemic, and that has been such an impactful experience for so many of us. And then these last days, these last weeks have just been brutal. It's torn the fabric of who we are as a people just into pieces. It's shredded it. And there's such a convulsion of pain. And I just want to say, you know, we we stand fully with, you know, since the death of of George Floyd, since his awful killing, it's it's just set up a, a whole a whole bunch of different things into motion, feelings that are raw and real, and, and we've all walked through this together. And we just want to say that we stand with all of our African American brothers and sisters in Christ. We we see ourselves as one body. So when one part of the body feels pain, we all feel it. At the same time, we remember that we are one in Christ. That the message of our church has always been our unity in Christ. We've always been about the message of Jesus above all else. We've never been political. We're not going to start now. But we do care. We care deeply. We want to, we want to reinforce the beauty of what Jesus brings. You know, we are a house of many people. We are a house of many different types of people. We are called to love one another and we seek to do it and we seek to love the world outside of our walls as well outside of our community that's what we want to be we want to be life givers and peacemakers for jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of god and we ask that the lord would help us to be that to others and to be part of the peacemaking process we want to be known less for what we're against i know there are real things to be against but we want to be known more for what we are for for peace and mercy and justice, yes, but most of all, the message of Jesus that we believe changes people far more profoundly than any institution or social movement could ever dream of doing. The message of Jesus, the reality of him at work in our lives, the reality of his spirit, the reality of his love changes people from the inside out. And it really binds us together in true unity. And that's what we wanna pursue. I know also that many of us are troubled. We're seeing many things that are disturbing. There's a lot of violence and senseless things that are being done, and that also is painful. I'm reminded of something that a wonderful, amazing woman who was a peacemaker in her own right, Corey Ten Boom, shared. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be disturbed. <laughs> she said, if you look too much at yourself, if you look at yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look at Jesus, You'll be at rest. And that's where we want to cast our glance, not as an escapist, but as a true refuge, a true unifying thing. The way of Jesus is our church's way. It's what we're committed to above all other things. That's where I want to land. And so I, I hope that we can make that journey together. And Lord, even now I ask that you would help us to love well, um, to be present, to, good, to listen well, to share pain together well, but most of all, to keep our eyes on you, because you are the one that we want to lift up. You're the answer the world is looking for. We believe that. We're committed to it. And we're going to continue to proclaim your gospel, your good news, far and wide, wherever we can, in whatever way we can. We believe you're the answer. And we will live that out as best as we can by your grace, Lord. So help us to do that in Jesus' name. You know, in a minute, we're going to be sharing a song, and then it's going to come back to my message. And the message is on the Good Samaritan, that's where I'm going to sit for the next few weeks. And that has everything to do with how to love your neighbor. So just keep that in mind. We'll sing about his love. 
and then we'll come back and we'll sit with a teaching of Jesus that is so good and so, so relevant for where we all are right now. So here we go. started with a question. Yeah, it was a question. We read about it in Luke 10, verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up, a scribe, to put Jesus to test, to put him to test, saying, Teacher, 
what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A lawyer, again, is sometimes called a scribe, an expert. They were in the Old Testament law, the scriptures. Scholars who had devoted themselves to its application for daily life. And so if we can't imagine the scene in our mind's eye, here is this uh, teaching that Jesus has been giving. And all of a sudden he's interrupted, perhaps not disrespectfully, but nonetheless, it was a question that was designed to test Jesus, to put him to the test. The question itself was not actually such an uncommon one for the day. He essentially was asking, teacher, what do you believe is the key to life? What do you believe is the essence and the purpose of our existence? It's actually a deep probing question, something that many of us sit with at different times in our lives as well. And certainly anyone who looks at the teachings of Jesus will be also looking at it through the lens of what does it mean to have eternal life? Eternal life, as the scribe was thinking of it, was not just life in terms of duration, in other words, beyond this time frame, but it had to do with also life in the fullest sense of meaning. Life, both here and now, life in its essence of purpose. In other words, he asked the question, how do I secure life in its fullest? And he waited, he waited for the answer of Jesus. And the crowds were watching and the people were watching and they had their eyes fixed. The interruption was not just from any man, it was from a scribe, an expert in the field. And he asked a probing question, a question that many of them would have been interested in hearing. Where did he stand? And then perhaps when the question was asked, how was it asked, right? That was another thing to think about. What was the tone of the scribe? Was it kind of a, an arrogant tone? Was it sincere? Was he himself seated? Did he stand and make a proclamation? I mean, we really don't know. What we do know though, is that he put, he put Jesus to the test and whether it was to catch and expose him or to see if Jesus was up to the task. We don't really know, but it was a question that we may assume was asked with confidence, the confidence of a self-assured man, for that's what the scribe would have been. He was an expert. He was, and perhaps, and we would think it is the case. He was much older than Jesus. So imagine the scene, an expert scribe, steps forward or stands up or interrupts the teaching, perhaps respectfully, perhaps not. We don't know, but what we do know is he asked Jesus and he's coming to him, not in any way from the perspective of someone who wants to necessarily learn as somebody who's an understudy, but from the place of confidence. And he, he, he sends the question in Jesus's direction, but Jesus surprised him. He surprised him. And I think he surprised the gathered audience as well by answering the question with a question, as Jesus had a tendency to do when people were trying to pin him down or put into a, him into a corner or sort of get the best of him rhetorically, Jesus responded to the question with a question of his own. It was kind of a parry of sorts, uh, delivered with what we may assume was a non-reactive, assured gentleness. Perhaps Jesus paused. Perhaps as everybody watched the potential confrontation, they were taken aback by the gentleness of the bearing of Jesus, the seemingly non-pulsed response to what could have been something that 
he might have reacted to if he were like other teachers. But he, he didn't seem to do that at all. He asked a question himself. He asked this question, look at it, verse 26. He said, he, that is Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What, what is written in the law? I'll ask you this, and how do you read it? What is your perspective? Can you answer that first? What is your take? How do you understand it? Perhaps a smile, right? Uh, maybe Jesus said, oh, my friend, you are asking, you are asking a question that, come on now, you know the answer to it. You're asking me a question you know the answer to. You're the expert. You're the expert in the law, right? You know that answer. Why are you asking me? The scribe who clearly was in his own way, kind of a trap setter, if I could put it this way, could not resist the modest, and I don't know if I want to call it a trap, but certainly the way in which Jesus maneuvered the situation, tempted the scribe in such a way that he felt compelled to respond. It was an appeal to his pride. And he, he gave his answer with an assured conviction that revealed, I think, his confidence and his training. I mean, it was a textbook answer of someone learned and, and an expert, right? It, there's no question about it. Look at verse 27. He answered, he said, oh, this is, this is a simple answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The answer flowed without hesitation, like a boat cutting through the water. The answer came, glided, did he, with verbal ease, combining the great Shema, the great command of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, which was kind of like the Lord's Prayer of the Jewish people, if you think of it that way. The Shema is the Hebrew word for hear, listen. And hear, O Israel, right, is where it's begin, you know, it begins. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, right? With the, and then the, the, it was com, sort of combined with the command of Leviticus 19.18 to love your neighbor as yourself. And so you have this combination. And really, if you think about it, that those two, that blending of those two, um, the Deuteronomy 6 passage, the, the Shema with the command of Leviticus 19, which had to do with loving your neighbor as yourself, it really is actually a summary of the Ten Commandments. I mean, it is, it is the, 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 the kind of like the essence of the Ten if you break them down, it's about loving God and it's about loving people, loving your neighbor. And so, uh, you know, it had to do with, the answer was perfect. It, it had to do with focusing on your relationship with God as the priority of your life. And then the second, second highest priority is focusing on your relationship with others. There you have the essence of life according to the scriptures. And, and you know, I would like to just, if I could, shift the gear a bit and just uh, sit here for a moment and have us reflect on how this relates to what is our theme right now, an engaged faith in these transition times and these shifting seasons of ours right now where everything's in flux. What does uh, an engaged faith look like? And, and how would the answer of the scribe inform that? Because the answer was embedded in a biblical foundation. There's no question. And one of the things that's important for us to remember is that at a time like this, 
when we're faced with many questions in the days ahead, I think it's even more important to secure. Listen to me, if you could, please. I'm trying to remind myself of this as well, to secure our foundation. That is to settle our hearts. Because no matter how things unfold, if we will settle our hearts on the two great commands, really the two greatest things, to, to love God and to love people, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, right? Think about that. If we can really truly do that in these transition times, if we can love God, and I'll just sit with that for a moment. What does it mean to love God, you guys? It means to, to, to be near to Him, to, to give Him our deepest affection, to give Him our loyalty and uh, the center of who we are, uh, the, the, the most meaningful part of who we are, to, to yield it to Him in relation, relational commitment and in affection and devotion, right? To love Him more dearly, to see Him more clearly. It's so easy, I think, at times like these to get distorted vision and to start drifting. You know what I'm talking about. We can find ourselves drifting into an anxious place or a distracted place. Or I just think with the downside to having so much time online, and I'm a big believer in it, and we're doing it right now. We're going to stay with this for a while. And who knows, we may never change some of the things we're doing now because there's such a value. But one of the downsides to having everybody so depersonalized in, a, in terms of presence and more digital and, and, and you know virtual in our experiences and social in terms of the things that we're dealing with that are on this wide open frontier of the internet and, and so many of the social channels is that you know we can easily wander into unhealthy places. And uh, some of us can wander into sin and into addictive patterns that just, if you can hear me, will suck the life right out of us and fill us with guilt or shame and a false high. And those things, the danger in, in being out here so much, right, is that our affections can drift. And, you know, we need to, and, and by the way, I just need to say this, and I just feel led to do it. Is, is if some of us have found ourselves drifting into an unhealthy place or a, pra a place that's, that honestly we, we feel like we, we've sinned and therefore it's taken a little bit of our momentum away during this season, we feel like we're, you know what? Repent. I, I mean, express your sorrow to God. Ask Him for forgiveness. Pray for His, his love. It won't, be, it won't be withheld from you. It won't. None of us. The Lord always response to a humble heart. And then I might add one more part to that, you know, bring other people into, into the, bring someone you trust, bring, bring someone you're connected to in your small group, your Zoom group, you know, your prayer group, your ministry group. And if you're not connected to anyone, you can also reach out to a pastor if you don't have anyone else to do that to on our team. We will pray with you. We have prayer teams actually that will lift you up. I mean, I don't, my, I don't want any of us bound up. And I just realize how easy it is to get stuck in places right now and to lose our love. You know, the Lord loves us so much and he wants us to love him back. And I just think that the more in love we are, and again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, the more in love we are with him, the, it's, the healthier we will be. It, we will. It will, will be better. The more free we will be. I know it doesn't seem like that, the, the illusion of what we're presented with, the continual illusion of curated experiences that aren't real actually are destructive for the, the soul. And so I want to encourage all of us to find ways to strengthen our love. Can we do that? And so think about what that even says, the, the great Shema, 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does it mean to love him with our heart? I mean, to love him with a tenderness and a sincerity and a passion and a genuine sensitivity, to love the Lord with our soul, to love him with our soul, that is with our mind, our thoughtfulness. To, if it, I, When I hear that, that to love the Lord with all of our mind, right? I think about the idea of engaging the Lord at more than a surface level, but rather be a people who want to be a true follower of Jesus and dig deep. And digging deep is going to look different for different people. But for whoever you are and for wherever we are, make a decision to dig deep. That's a foundational principle. Like, don't just settle in on a surface level experience with Jesus. Contend. Use this time to contend for the deeper places and the deeper spaces with God. Think deep thoughts. Think long thoughts, as I like to say. Create space and reflect well on your on our life. And, and, and if we feel like we're, we're actually honoring our priorities, and do we really want to be stuck where we're stuck? And what and maybe, it may, maybe the Lord is saying to us, part of loving me is going to look like, you know, being more freed up to love people better. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But also love the Lord your God with all your, you know, your heart, your your, your soul and your might, your, our strength, that implies effort, doesn't it? It implies effort. We got to work at this. Ours is a working faith. It's not a, a, a passive faith. It's, it's, it, it has times of intentional passivity and sa- passivity and Sabbath rest. There's time for that, but by and large, our faith needs to be put into place like anything. It's like the muscles in our body. Uh, you know, we, we have to put faith into action for it to grow. It's just designed that way. And a lot of what Jesus is going to get at is going to reveal that to us. But in these transition times, let's also do the second part of that. Remember, love God, love people. That's part of the answer the scribe gave, and Jesus is going to affirm it. But what does it mean to love love people? I think it means to care and to be aware. I'll say that again. Loving people means to care and to be aware. To not be hard, but to be soft of heart. I get convicted of this. To be slow to anger, right? And quick to forgive. The Christian way is about giving and forgiving. It's not about grudge holding negativity and being a continual critic. We weren't called to a place of judge judgment are a place where we're always trying to find faults in the other and use that as an excuse for ourselves. Rather, the Lord always calls us to places of ownership. And part of that ownership in our own heart will always have to do with how it is, how our love for Christ is extended out to other people, and particularly the people who are closest to us. I mean, our neighbor must always begin with those we are in closest relationship with. And that is why We have to really keep our hearts soft before the Lord because our normal tendency will be to take for granted the people that are closest to us. And we we just can't do that. Part of being a countercultural follower of the Lord is that we choose not to live the selfish life, but the Christ-like life of of a higher degree of selflessness for the well-being of those we love. Now, that's important to remember that. That's the light of our path in a way. That we are called to be a people who go the extra mile. And so much about today's teaching around the Good Samaritan. And I'm going to follow it up with one next week as well. Kind of the second part to it. But so much of the teaching of Jesus has to do with going the extra mile and exercising exceptional uh, kindness. And so I, I, I would hope that many of us will use the time that we have as, as we're sort of finding our way into these coming months that we will use this time to, yeah, to develop 
uh, people skills. And we may not be able to do it in the same way, or we may over time be able to, but it'll be different, obviously, but we can still, there's so much stuff we, that we, so many real things we can do that have to do with developing our relational skills and our people skills and listening. And I, I just, I just really think that God wants us to break out in love, right? So, you know, I'll go back to my phrase, you know, the breakdown that leads to the breakthrough that leads to the breakout and the breakout in love is something God wants us to do. So let's go back. Let's come on. Let's go back to the account, the showdown, if you will, in Luke 10. And let's, let's reset that as to what happens. So the man interrupts Jesus, the scribe interrupts Jesus. He says, Hey, what teacher, what is your, your belief? What is your position? How would you describe the essence of life? How do you understand the, the eternal life and, and what, it, what it really is? How would you describe it? Jesus says, well, I have a question for you. How would you, I mean, you're a scribe. Why don't, why don't you answer that question? What is your understanding of it? Uh, so the scribe answers it, you know, oh, it's to, to love God, right? With all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this is the essence of life. And he waited for the response of Jesus. Look at it with me. Verse 28, it says, he said to him, Jesus said to the scribe, the lawyer, a friend, you, you have answered beautifully, correctly, with precision. And all the people watched. Do this. Just do this and you will live. Do the thing you just said. Yes. If you do that, you live. That's life. It's true life as defined by God that has meaning both now and forever. A pause, perhaps, perhaps as he looked around, he felt embarrassed. Perhaps he felt convicted. Perhaps he had genuinely wanted to know, perhaps it was a combination of all of those feelings coming together in the moment. He sensed everybody looking at him. He sensed the conviction of the eyes of Jesus that pierced into his heart calling him to a place that he knew he had probably never, ever been totally at peace in. I mean, well, I mean, that's such a simple answer, right? You know, if you think about it, it's almost like he says, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. I know that, but where do we draw the line? Where do we draw lines? I mean, look, I, I understand the loving God, but, but, Loving my neighbor as myself. Oh, who is my neighbor? Like, how do we define neighbor? How would you define neighbor? This is, and look what we're told. The reason he asked it. Oh, this is intense. This is intense. Look at verse 29. But he, look at the phrase, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, well who is my neighbor? Something about the way that Jesus answered the question drove into his heart something about the way that that Jesus um, positioned his simple the simple type response it 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 really hit him right in a way that clearly clearly it, it, it bothered his conscience enough to where he felt like he had he had not done this. And that, or that he at least knew that there were some people that were outside the circle of his definition of a neighbor and something about the way that Jesus interacted with him caused him to be shaken. And maybe 
that's also, we might have to give him a little bit of potential credit. Maybe it was part of that conviction in his own heart. There may have been a sincerity there that had actually moved him towards Jesus. Now that's giving him the benefit of the doubt. One thing is clear. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to make it clear in his own mind that he was a person who had done this. And he asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? Right? Who is my neighbor? And at the time, and it's a fair question because at the time, and it's actually a question that some of us can actually, it's more relevant than it seems. So the question is really, what is my obligation of love and who am I actually uh, to love and in what ways? In other words, what does God expect of me when it comes to loving people relationally? Is there a limit? How do, how do we know the limit? When do we know it's, it's, it's like enough is enough? And when, do we, when can we be at peace with people outside the circle of our love? I mean, it's a great question to wrestle with. And so, you know, at the time there were many differing views. I mean, some, some taught it was, it was the, the question of that, who is my neighbor, that a neighbor was only really a, a fellow Jew. So that the extent of your uh, neighborly love only had to go towards a fellow Jew. Other people thought, well, no, it's, yes, it's to our own people. That's obvious. But some people said, but not to the people who are our people who are publicans and sinners. That is no notorious people uh, who are immoral or who practice a kind of life, even though they may be Jewish, they do things that would exclude them from my responsibility to love them. That, that, so there were a lot of people who said, no, that's where we draw the line. Others said, no, you know, uh, and some asked, well, what about Gentiles? I mean, do, are they to be loved like a neighbor? I, I would think that certainly most people would have said, you should never love a Roman as your neighbor. <laughs> I mean, that was like, be people despise the Romans. So Gentiles, for many, were outside the circle of one's responsibility of love. Others would say, well, then what about a Samaritan who was half Jewish and yet had a kind of hybrid, odd way of of following the Lord? And there was tensions between Jews and Samaritans, and, and Samaritans were partially Jewish and and so, you know, um, where the, again, the question, where do you draw your line about loving? And it was both a clever question, but I, I don't know. I, I mean, you can debate this, but I, I lean to the idea that it was actually an honest one. I know he wanted to justify himself because clearly <laughs> the brilliant man, and he may have been um, well-trained, but the brilliant man was on the defensive. Jesus had him on his heels uh, because his words hit the mark. I mean, he felt like I have, I have felt. Sometimes reading the word, sometimes hearing the word of the Lord. I, have, I know he felt what I, and I felt that this as well. The conviction of the Lord fell upon him. And the, and the Jesus's words were so concise, so tightly wound that they hit with precision in the exact spot in his heart where he probably had already been wrestling with God. So what would the teacher from Nazareth say to the question, right? Well, well, who is my neighbor, right? Well, well, now that they turn back to, everybody turns back to Jesus to try to see, okay, how's he going to respond now? This is happening. This is happening. And everyone fixes their gaze on the teacher from Galilee, they waited for the answer. What would it be? But what they got instead was a story. <laughs> I just love it. The answer of Jesus was a story.
How good is that? So Jesus replied in verse 30, look at this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. Other version says he fell among thieves who stripped him and beat him and departed. They left him half dead. So that's the picture of the man on the side of a road who's been jumped and beaten to a pulp and he's half dead. He's been stripped. He's been robbed, uh, mercilessly left in this, maybe in the sun, just dying. You know, Jericho, we're told it was, it was on the road to Jericho and Jericho still to this day, some of us may know this, but not everyone necessarily would, but do you realize that Jericho to this day is the lowest city elevation wise on the entire earth? Check it out. It's located in the Jordan Valley, about six miles from the Dead Sea, about 17 miles from Jerusalem. You can actually visit it today. And in fact, on our last trip to Israel, that's exactly what many of us did. We did it as a church. We had a church trip to Israel and uh, my boy was the world different at that time. And I, I now look back on that as a really precious time. I look forward to when we'll be able to do things like that again. But the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was dangerous. At the time of Jesus, it was known as the, the bloody way, the, the bloody pass. People were jumped, robbed, beaten, and sometimes killed. One traveled with caution. And usually you would try to do it with a group. Uh, you would do your commute together. And certainly you would, you would do it in the daytime, if at all possible. I mean, to go at night was to put your life in peril. So, you know, in the first fact, in the first century, if you read some of the historians, Josephus described the road, even at that time as desolate and rocky. So that would have been the, the, the feel of it. And in the fourth century, Jerome said it was filled with just filled with Bedouin robbers. So, you know, the road wound through difficult, rocky terrain, and it was filled with twists and turns. And even to this day, you can get the feel of it. You can feel it. You can, you can imagine the story of Jesus because it, in some ways, even now, almost 2000 years removed, it has some things that are, aren't changed that much so that you, you can get the texture of what Jesus was talking about. You can, you can almost, you can almost see it with just because of how it is even today. And so it has, it had twists and turns and crevices and bends. And if one traveled it, everybody knew. And in the audience of Jesus, they all knew <laughs> if you traveled alone, man, you better move fast, swiftly and with caution and open eyes. You do not start daydreaming on the road to Jericho. That's not the time or place, not the time to, you better stay focused. You better stay aware. You better keep your head on a swivel because at any moment around any corner, if you're alone, you can be in real trouble. And the man on the road had, had that exactly happened to him. And so, you know, let's set the scene. Jesus sets the scene for our story. I'll go back Back to verse 30 there, it says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him. And then they just departed. They left him for half dead, uh, breathing, bloody, All right? Try to imagine it, just about, about to die, really. And by a chance, a priest was going down that road and he saw him, but he, he didn't want to take a chance. And so he passed by on the other side. And then likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he also saw him, but he passed by on the other side, Jesus says. So Jesus is telling this story, you know, priests serve 
God on behalf of the people in the temple. And the Levites functioned as essentially temple attendants. And it was not uncommon for them to live in Jericho, but work in Jerusalem. And both would have been recognized as religious. And, and you know, in, in all fairness, I mean, they may have been in a hurry behind schedule for their sacred duty. It may have been something that they reasoned with, like, I, can I, I, I don't, I, I have responsibilities that are a higher priority. I don't have time to, to do this maybe, or perhaps what is even more likely is they they immediately recognized as they saw the birds flying around in the air that, uh, you know, this guy is probably beyond help anyway. And this, or, or that it could be a trap. And in all fairness, that did happen. Sometimes people would feign being a victim. And then the others, when you went to help would come and seize upon you. And so, you know, it had happened before. can't take the chance. Got to keep moving. Sorry about that. I hope God takes care of you, my friend, but I'm on my way. I can't, poor soul. I, I you probably be on help anyway. I got to go. I got to go. So whether it was apathy or fear or the force of a need to keep a perceived higher commitment, you know, we can't say, but the bottom line is the way Jesus tells the story, both the priest and the Levite uh, chose not to engage, right? But we're told a Samaritan, Jesus says, and they're all listening and the scribe listening because he was the one who Jesus was talking to most directly. And Jesus said, but a Samaritan, and you could have heard the crowd go, oh, a Samaritan, he said a Samaritan. I tell you, yes, yes. I can see Jesus saying, yes, a Samaritan. Yes. As he journeyed, he came to where he was. This man was beaten on the side of the road, dying on the side of the road. And when he saw him, you know what? He, he had compassion. And remember the tension that existed between the Jew and the Samaritans. They were related, but they were different. Samaritans partially Jewish with a different conception of how to serve God, the God of Israel. All right. There was real prejudice. It went both ways. Samaritans were regarded by most in Jesus's day as outsiders. Keep that in mind. So when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion <sighs> and he threw caution aside and he, he went to him, Jesus said, and he bound him up, bound up his wounds. Oh, my friend, are you all right? And he poured on him oil. We take care of you here for a moment in wine and tried to help him, comfort him. He touched him, bandaged him. And it says that he then set him on his own animal. And then he walked while the injured man, the dying man rode on the, I'll just call it the donkey. And he brought him to an inn, a safe place. And then he, he wanted to take care of him and, and he helped him during that day. And, and it's beautiful. And then Jesus says the next day he took out some money to denarii. And he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look, you know me and I know you. I come here a lot. Uh, take care of this man and whatever more you spend. And, you know, if, it, if, it, if it's more than I've given you, you know what? Um, hey, I'll repay you. I'll repay you on the way back. Just put it on my account. You know I'm good for it. And then Jesus stopped. And I think he turned to the, to the scribe. And maybe he looked at the people. 
but his eyes fixed on the lawyer. And he said, so let me ask you this question. Because you asked me, who is the neighbor? <laughs> who is my neighbor? So let me ask you this question. And I'll ask it. Who do you think, come on now, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? How would you answer that? And we're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But he said, that is, the scribe responded and said, well, the one, yes, the one who, the one who showed mercy. Yeah. And Jesus said to him, go, you do this. You go and do likewise. Checkmate. But actually to help him. You know, think about this, you guys. Technically, Jesus actually never answered the question. The question was, who is my neighbor? Actually, he had, if you, if you look at it closely, the lawyer answered his own question. Jesus said, well, who, is, who, is, who do you think was the neighbor to the man, the one who showed mercy? Yes, you've answered your question. Oh, there you go. Uh, you know... I just, just want us to think about this real quickly and engage faith because that's been our focus here. But I want to suggest something that an engaged faith is a compassionate and loving faith. It's a broad faith in terms of its scope. Now the way of salvation, any true follower of Jesus must understand this. The way of salvation and internal and eternal life is a narrow road. It's a narrow road indeed because it's the way through Jesus. He said, if anyone wants to get to the Father, he must come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to God but through me. Jesus said that. He said, the road to life is narrow one, and few there be that find it. I mean, Jesus talked about that all the time. But if the way of Jesus, the way to God is a narrow road through Jesus, the Son of God who gave himself for us to make it possible for us to be in relationship with the Father, with God, if the way of Jesus is narrow, it's also a big broad, loving way. It's, it, if I can say it this way, the way to life is not only a narrow road in terms of salvation, but it's a broad road in terms of the love we're supposed to give in his name. It's, and that love, as Jesus taught us, is never to be narrowed down only to people we like or listen, if I can say it in a different way, to people who are like us. In fact, the, the real power of Christ may show up at its finest when we serve the ones we don't like, aren't like, or who can give us nothing that we value, that we value back in return. Indeed, God loved this world that he gave us his only begotten son. And truly, as we're told in Romans 5, God commanded his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he showed us at a human level, love at its highest level. When he prayed for his enemies, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, the compassion of the Samaritan stands out because it showed up in his seeing and it showed up in his doing. And I think sometimes... Just listen to me, hear me. Sometimes I've come to understand better that just seeing is an act of compassion. It says that he saw him. 
He saw the man. And sometimes just seeing is, an, is his, in his own way is an act of compassion. But of course, it, it, it's not supposed to end there. Doing is the key. Doing is the key. And just putting this up, that ours, the Christian way, is a doing faith, a way that is designed to push us past our comfort zones and into sacrificial love. I'll say that one more time. In fact, maybe you could say that with me. Ours, the, the Christian way, is a doing faith, a way that is designed to push us past our comfort zones and into sacrificial love. And again, remember how Jesus ends it. What does he say? You go and do likewise. Do likewise. I was thinking about this. I just wrote something down, my own little way of, of like a little poem to remind myself. The way of Jesus, when humbly applied, will lead us into places we would rather not go, push us into spaces we would rather not share, have us listen to words we would rather not hear, and look at faces we would rather not see. I'll say that one more time. The way of Jesus, when humbly applied, will lead us into places we would rather not go, push us into spaces we would rather not share, have us listen to words we would rather not hear, and look at faces we would rather not see. And I'm, and I'm not saying what that is specifically supposed to be. For each one of us, it's going to be a little bit different, and yet in some ways it's going to be exactly the same. And I'm not saying how much it's supposed to show up in our lives, this activated faith that shows up in active compassion, but rather what I'm saying is, is it is supposed to show up. And that you and I, maybe at this time more than ever, need to take advantage of this and, and really consider how is our faith and love for Jesus showing up when it comes to um, connecting and blessing other people. And this is a time to do it. Not just think it, but do it. And for, for us, I was just thinking about different ways that we can, we can do this, and, you know, in different ways we've been doing this as well already. And, and it may be serving those less fortunate in our community. Loving our neighbor may look like that. So many of you have already been doing that. I mean, there's been a, a tremendous amount of volunteer activity around serving the needs of others. I mean, we've started initiatives to funnel blessing and directions. And you've, many of you have not only let us know how we could help, but you've also been helping. In fact, far more have helped. And that's been a very humbling thing to witness. And we just want to keep that going in the coming months. We just want to be a conduit of blessing. We want to let the church create pathways to bless people so that people can bless others in the community. It may be giving our resources to help make that happen. Maybe we can't tangibly do it physically, but we can give in such a way as we have, and you know who you are. Many of you have been giving to help relief staff and volunteers to serve the needs of others and to creatively do the work of ministry. And I applaud you and I commend you in the Lord for your utter faithfulness. And that is happening in very real and tangible ways in our church. And we want that to continue to happen. We're also trying to bless those who are outside of our church, right? That has become a very important value for us at this time. We've actually uh, started initiatives and we're going to keep doing it to build alliances with different ministries in the city that we can specifically help and serve and, and strengthen. We want to, we want to have those that we are aligned with spiritually that we can support. And sometimes it's just our workforce of community that we get behind it. And it just makes a huge difference. Some of us are aware that we're, we're reaching out sometimes just to people um, who are in other countries and we're trying to bless them too. And we do, you know, compassionate uh, expressions 
like with our Operation Christmas Child and other such things that we, we love to engage, the missionaries that we support, who also are very important to us. And you're connected to all of that, right? And, and so, you know, some of us, uh, our, our engaged faith may look like um, hosting, I'm big on that. Hosting a small group or uh, leading a, a virtual group. You know, I'm hoping that at some point that will change and, and soon and we'll be able to gather together in ways that um, we're more accustomed to, that we feel comfortable with. Some of us feel comfortable with that. Some of us are not as comfortable with that at this point. But we have so many different Zoom groups and, and different ways of connecting that are going on right now. And maybe that's something that, that you're to say, hey, I want to be involved in that. I want to help coordinate that. I want to help be a, a host for that. I want to help facilitate. Uh, you know, I, I just want to be a part of community at this time. It may mean mean going the extra mile and to listen prayerfully to a hurting friend beyond a convenient hour or a family member. Maybe that's one of the ways that God wants us to do this uh, right now that, that for some of us, maybe there's a name coming to our mind right now that we're supposed to reach out to that person and, and let them know, send them a prayer, send them a text, send them a word of encouragement because they're on a sudden you're on my mind and I send my love in your direction, right? It might be, might be doing that. It might be praying for our kids and our youth ministry so that our little ones and our teenagers would know the love and story of Jesus forever and have settled heart in these very unsettling times. The point is that Christian love is engaged, is to be an engaged faith, right? And always is going to pull us when it is into challenging places, places of decision and sacrifice that will stretch and grow us like the Good Samaritan will push us to take the risk. And I'll just leave us with this right now, that when it comes to an engaged faith, remember the real question can never be, listen, the real question can never be, who is my neighbor? Because this is what Jesus was really saying, but rather, am I a neighbor? The question really isn't who is my neighbor, but am I being a neighbor? Am I loving the way that he wants me to love? That's the real question. Okay, right now we're going to take a quick break. I have, I have actually another thought behind this to share as I close this out. I'll do that after our song. You know, for those of you who can remember, we're having, this is kind of the closest thing we have to our version of giving. Just, you know, you can do that on the app, online, send it in. You guys have been amazing. You've been marvelous. We've been just hanging together, holding together. I'm so proud of you. Keep it up as best as you can. May God bless you and prosper all of us. But right now, I want us to go ahead, share this song, this, this, this kind of poetry in melody together, then come back around. I'll close this out. All right, here we go.
Yeah, that's what we want. We want his love to rise up within us. Uh, you know, the, the question that the scribe asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? This he asked to justify himself and Jesus gave him the story, the story of the Samaritan. Yes, the good Samaritan. And really what Jesus was saying is, will you be this kind of a neighbor? Will you love like this? And I think that's so connected to where we are right now. So much anger. We just need to be part of bringing his life and love, his goodness and his grace, his mercy, his tenderness and his kindness in as many ways as we possibly can to be peacemakers. But, uh, you know, I just, I just want to pray. I want you to pray with me if you can. But Lord, we just, we just want to, we want to be ambassadors of your love. We want to be blessers. And our heart, our hearts grieve, grieve over the sin of racism and ethnic prejudice that seems to not only be part of, um, you know, our nation at times, it's more profoundly seen than others and, and part of our world. And honestly, we're, we're real about this, it's in every human heart. And we know we need the great healer to touch us all so that we might love the way you want us to love and be the kind of people that um, make things better. Yeah, so be with us in the coming days, Lord. We pray and I do ask that you would help us to sow water and reap. I pray the Lord's blessing over you, spirit, soul, and body for you are greatly loved. All right, love you guys.